There has to be some common sense. Yes, sir, they have the car stopped at 10 and branch microfiber. We still don't know who pulled the trigger. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Police Off the Cuff Real Crime Stories. I'm your host, retired NYPD Sergeant Bill Cannon. On this somber day, the 21-year anniversary of the attacks uh, on uh, 9-11 of the World Trade Center, Phil and I are both uh, first responders that survived this horrible day. Uh, We salute the people that lost their lives that day. We salute all of the folks that are sick in regards to their service uh, during the World Trade Center. Some of the things that came out of 9-11, just, you know, the cliches that we, that cliches sometimes are good as every, as the civilians were running away from the towers, the NYPD was running into them. And I think that says everything about police, everything about police work. And the Honor Legion, which is, I think less than 10% of the NYPD are members of the Honor Legion, they have a motto, it's, and in Latin, it's, it says, Fidelis et Mortem, and that stands for faithful until death. And I think that is the motto of uh, the NYPD. They've adopted the Honor Legion's motto, Fidelis et Mortem. And, you know, as these years pass, people say, oh, it feels like yesterday. It doesn't to me. To me, it feels like it's a real long time ago. And when you think of 21 years, all the things that happened in 21 years besides that incident, it seems like it was a long time ago to me and some, you know, everyone's entitled to their opinion. I hear a lot of people say, it seems like it was yesterday. Well, it doesn't to me, but that doesn't, that doesn't really matter. What does matter is that there are people that are still affected by this attack. These attacks, this tragedy, families that kids that were born that never met their father or mother, you know, for that matter, you know, um, the scars that people carry on, both physical and mental scars from that day. And I just, every year, and I'll bring it up a little bit later, is I always like to salute the three detectives that I was with that day, all from the 2-3 squad where I was assigned on that day. Uh, Detective James Zarakis, Detective William Hicks, and Detective Zedekiah Jennings. And when you talk about the perfect... Uh, David Dinkins used to talk about the gorgeous mosaic. And you got an Irish sergeant, a Greek detective, Zarakis, Billy Hicks, an African-American, and Zedekiah Jennings right, right off the boat from the Caribbean, from uh, St. Thomas. And that's the New York City Police Department. The diversity was in evidence even on 9-11, and we, we celebrate that. Phil, I talked a little longer than I intended to. I want to give you the floor here and to just... You know, let everyone know what your feelings are today. Well, first off, I'd like to just bring up and mention the uh, three detectives, uh, actually myself and two other detectives and a sergeant that I worked with on uh, in the intelligence division. And on 9-11, we were together. However, we were together with hundreds of detectives from the intelligence division and the police department. But I want to mention my boss, Sergeant John Mitchell. You're talking about diversity. He was an Irishman. Uh, myself. Uh, Eddie Driscoll, who's also an Irishman. 
I'm Italian, and Mike Lopez, uh, Detective Mike Lopez, Detective Eddie Driscoll, we were all together, like I said, along with many other detectives, and uh, it's a somber day, just want to recognize it. Bill, you're talking about how a lot of people say it feels like yesterday. I can remember it like it was yesterday. That's just etched into my brain. Um, the things that we saw that day, which will never be forgotten, at least not by me, and I'm sure by you and many others, although some some people uh, seem to have uh, kind of lost it in their memories, but uh, it'll never be forgotten by me or anybody was there. And I always tell people that when you saw it on the news, you got one picture of it, and it was a disaster on looking at it through a TV screen. But when you look at the World Trade Center, and all the other buildings that went down on the floor at your feet. It's just, uh, I'm getting chills even saying it. It's, it, there's no words to describe it. Uh, it was just, um, people use the word surreal. Yes, it was definitely surreal. And uh, you could not have appreciated what went down that day without being at that site the way we did. I mean, you can appreciate it from television. You hear the story. Yes, I get it. But when you smelt the smell of diesel fuel and death, which we smelt every day for many, many weeks. Uh, I could, I could smell it right now as we speak. I'll never forget that smell. And uh, to see that devastation. And I actually was by the world trade center uh, on Friday before the Tuesday attack. I saw it intact. I looked up at it. Uh, we were driving in that area and it just uh, always gazed up at that uh, hulking buildings and uh, then to see it uh, just a couple of days later on the ground uh, demolished, just uh, very hard to uh, process it in your mind. 100%. You know, someone asked in the chat whether folks that were with me on that day were all still alive, thank God. So 21 years later, myself, Zarakis, Hicks, and Jennings are still alive. We all have retired from the NYPD and have moved on to other things in life. But not everyone uh, was so lucky. And either they lost their life or they've had a life that has been uh, met with a struggle from health problems that they've gotten from 9-11. Uh, I'm going to play this little video. And this sort of is um, and not to uh, terrify anyone or make uh, traumatize anyone, but this is what it was like on the ground that day. Get my back, get my back, get my back. 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 Get
Unbelievable, right? If that sort of gives you a, a feeling of you know what went on that day the, from the ground level, and we realized there were thousands of people down there and thousands of first responders responded there, and everyone has their own their own story as the 9/11, according to them, according to their experience. And I think it's very important that these experiences somehow memorialized and i think that the 9-11 memorial has a lot of uh these experiences memorialized on tape memorialized so that people uh that go to that memorial can can hear the experiences that day for first responders and not even just first responders people that were down there that worked down there 
You know, Billy, uh, I just want to mention, uh, you talked about somebody in the chat earlier had asked if uh, anybody that you worked with had passed. Uh, there was a detective that we worked with in the intelligence division that was, wasn't in my team, but he was one of the other teams. First grade detective Jerry Ahern passed away a few years ago from 9-11 uh, related illnesses. All of us, everybody that was down there, all have 9-11 uh, related illnesses. I have several. I know you have several, Bill. I think every person that spent even just a little bit of time down there or somebody was down there the whole entire time of the uh, rescue and recovery, uh, there's like six illnesses that uh, everybody has, uh, starting with post-traumatic stress disorder, uh, asthma, acid reflux, sleep apnea, chronic sinusitis, those are all the things that uh, just about everybody that was down there has. And then there's others, obviously, there's the cancers that are all associated with it. So, again, uh, keep those people in, in your uh, in your mind, in your thoughts, in your prayers. Um, somebody in the chat, David Kahn, sounds like he's a first responder. Sad thing is in this country has forgotten the schools don't educate our kids about this day. As a first responder, this pisses me off more than anything. I'm with you on that, David. Uh, this should be uh, not forgotten in any way, shape, or form. And I don't want to uh, traumatize children in school, but I think it should definitely be taught. It's part of history. And uh, maybe there's not enough focus on it to, uh, you know, to honor the memory of all the people that died that day, as well as uh, just almost as many that died that day have died since from the uh, exposure to the toxins. Actually more, actually more. It's actually more now, Bill? Yeah, yeah. yeah. There you go, there you go. So, and, and that video you played, let me tell you, very, very tough to watch. Uh, one of the things that struck me uh, in the early part of that video you played, but it, it's it's obviously very emotional to even look at that. But when you see officers telling people go this way, they're telling people to go away from the site and you see police cars racing toward the site. And uh, that's the heroics of uh, first responders, law enforcement officers across the country. This is what we do. And uh, you know uh, it's not for everybody, but the people that do uh, sign up to become a law enforcement officer or a first responder, it's a special calling and uh, you have to really salute those people. And uh, that's very, very uh, telling that day, how, uh, two buildings hit by uh, jumbo jets in flames, uh, very close to collapse. And there's offices running to try and not only offices, firemen, EMS, all first responders running to try and help even civilians trying to help to uh, save lives. And uh, that's really an, a testament to the American spirit. You know, guys, last year on the 20-year anniversary, I collected the three detectives that I was with, and we actually did an episode of Police Off the Cuff Real Crime Stories, and we just uh, talked a little bit about um, our experiences that day. I'm just going to play a little bit of it because I'd like to salute these uh, gentlemen, and this is one way I can salute them and remember that I definitely appreciated their work, and I think uh, other people should too. You know, the precinct desk saying... Yeah, that's how I remember it too. Anyway, we're waiting for you, Z, and it's like, I, I, I don't know if he was like, you know, plucking his eyebrows or shaving <laughs> <laughs> You know, he was, he was making himself pretty and stuff. Anyway, I know we jump in, we all jump into a car and we head downtown and there's <laughs> nobody on the road. Remember on the FDR? Yeah, they, they cleared off the FDR, yeah. I mean, you'd think that there was, yeah, I mean, and then we get down there, and 
I, I, I want to let other people speak. I mean, but uh, all right, Billy, Billy, why don't Billy Hicks? Why don't you uh, tell us? Like, I, I just want to mention something that I, I said it before the show is that on the way down there, Billy Hicks said said to me, he says, uh, Sarge, he goes, why don't we park at South and Pike because if we drive right down to the building, we'll never get out of there. I remember. And, and I said, you know something, Billy, that's a good idea. And I always yeah. thought that that decision may have saved all of our lives. You know, yeah. I really do. I really feel that way. Yeah, I remember that. Go ahead, Billy. When I remember, I go back the day before. I remember, I remember this like yesterday on the uh, September 10th. I went by Jimmy's house to get a uh, gun cleaning kit from him. I had to go to the range that night. And I remember this clear as a bell. He was sitting down watching the History Channel, and they were showing the bombing of Pearl Harbor. He was watching it, and I remember telling him, I'm glad nothing like that doesn't happen anymore. This is September 10th. The next day, we go to work, and his wife calls, and I answer the phone, and she's like, she's kind of short with me. And she's, she's never short with me. She's always like, how you doing? I remember having the phone to Jimmy, and I remember him saying, what do you mean the World Trade Center blew up? Those are his exact words. So I remember walking, walked back into the lunchroom on the TV, one towel was burning, and we were like, oh, no big deal. Some idiot ran into the World Trade Center with a small plane. They'll fix it. We went back downstairs and started, you know, doing the day's work. Then I hear Gladys yelling and cursing, the second building's on fire, the second building's on fire. And that's when I went up and they showed the plane hitting the second tower. We uh we waited to uh you know, we got dressed, waited for them to tell us where to go. And I remember going out the door to the parking lot, and I remember hearing Sergeant McLean yelling from their TV room on the first floor. The first tower fell, one of the towers fell, and I'm and I'm telling myself, what is he talking about? One of the towers fell. Right. And I remember getting in the FDR drive. And like you said, there was no traffic, and people are walking up the side of the FDR Drive, and they're covered in, uh, you know, in ash and dirt. And I remember looking up, and I'm like, "Oh shit! There's, there's only one tower there. Where'd the other tower go?" And then, you know, we went and parked, and I suggested we park on Pike Street, not realizing the enormity of this. Because I was like, "Yeah, we park there, all these emergency vehicles are going to block us in, and we're never going to get out of there." That was my reason. And now, but you know something that was, uh, you know, if that unintended, that that was an amazing decision. That yeah, uh, if we'd have got down there uh, ten minutes earlier. Who knows? We might not have been here now. Now, sure. do you remember the second time? This is my recollection. Uh, we're down there. Now the second tower didn't go down, but it came down, and we heard this tremendous, you know, like collapse. And I remember Chambers and Broadway. I'm sorry. We were at Chambers and Broadway, getting ready to muster up. No, no, but the, the, the second I thought it was the when we were crossing one. we were crossing Canal Street, I think, when no. it came down. Yeah, the, sec the second building fell, I think, when we were right around maybe north of Pike Street. Because I remember, I don't know if you remember they had oh, that. We were on foot. We were on yeah, foot. We, right? we walked, yeah, we walked. I, I, I remember that female, they had the female cop that on the remember the female cop that was on the radio? Saying that she couldn't find her way out of there. Yeah. And then the building fell. So we were actually walking toward the, the site when the second tower fell. That's how I remember. I remember when the when the second tower came. I mean, the best best of my recollection. 
And I remember looking at Billy Cannon, our host here, and um, it w I remember we looked at each other like, holy shit, because it was like, just, it, it felt like a, like a little bit of like, like an earthquake, you know? Yeah, yeah. And, um, and I'll tell you, then, after that, I mean, it was just unbelievable of, there was, there was really not much of a, You know, like get. I mean, there was there was no getting together. I mean, it, it seemed like everything was crazy. And remember, Bill, we went into the and and all all of us. Remember, we went to that fucking. Um, we went into that store because they. Were I remember. Uh, I don't know what you're gonna say. Gorgeous. We needed masks. But, right. but the place is full of smoke and, you know, and um, yeah. he wanted to charge us and we're like, crazy price. And, and I yeah. remember Cannon. Like, I got you want us to pay for these bandanas. Yeah. And I still got that, that mask. I yeah. Said, oh, yeah. You, what, are you, what are you kidding me? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I remember we went to the store. We yelled at him. Yeah, we got, you know, he wanted some crazy price for him. And Cameron was like, what, are you crazy? Yeah. You're charging us? Yeah, I mean, we were in full uniform and everything. Yeah. Well, if anyone's interested in watching that whole episode, it's like an hour and seven minutes. And uh, I just wanted you to get a feel of what it was like. And those were the three detectives that I was with that day were all 21 years later alive and uh, healthy. And uh, I always try to salute them on 9-11 because I feel that camaraderie, you know? Yeah, Bill, it's uh, it's hard to watch and, and think about it, but uh, I, I just, uh, I remember that day like it was yesterday. Obviously, I said that earlier. Um, I was actually in bed when the first plane hit. My wife was up and I only had two children at the time. They were very small. And uh, she woke me up. She says, I think something's going on. It's on the news. Uh, I think uh, the, a plane hit the World Trade. Uh, she said to me, a small plane hit the World Trade Center. And we started watching it. And uh, I started to count the floors in the hole of the side of the building. And I said, no, nah, I don't think that's a small plane. And then it just all started to, uh, you know, uh, come together with the, uh, the uh, you know, all the response. And then the second uh, tower got hit. When the second tower got hit, I remember the feeling of just helplessness that I knew now it, this wasn't an accident. This was an intentional act. And uh, that feeling of helplessness, I, I started to, uh, you know, like race around my living room. Like I didn't know what to do first. I was trying to call my office trying to get information. I knew it was a terrorist attack. And then once the collapse happened, I looked at my wife and I said, do you realize how many people just died? It was just so, so, uh, it was like a knife in my gut, you know? And, uh, and then it got to the point where I had to leave and, uh, she was extremely emotional. No, you can't leave. Uh, please, please don't go. I have these kids. Um, how am I going to raise these children? So it was, uh, it was really tough. And I, I, I literally had a shaker and say, stop, you know, she was hysterical crying. And I said, 
I'm going to come back. I give you my word. I promise you I will be back. I will do everything in my power to get back, but I have to go. And I gave her a hug and I was out the door and uh, never looked back. And I, I made it back. Thank God. Uh, a lot of people didn't that day, but uh, it was, uh, it was a little emotional to get out that door, but uh, how to do it. You know, some of the photos that you're seeing on the screen right now, and Phil, thank you for that story. That was uh, very heartfelt. Um, some of the photos are just iconic photos. This is a famous photo from that day. And I mean, just, you know, when you were there, the feeling that, you know, even the, the bosses who were in charge, what do you do? What do you do? Our country was just attacked. This is an act of war. You know, we're a police department, you know. Uh, there's an iconic photo right there. Just the, uh, that the steel it almost looks like a picket fence there, a broken picket fence. Uh, and this, this is probably the most iconic photo of all. Um, that's Reverend Judge, who actually um, was killed by a, a body that jumped out of the World Trade Center, and he was hit with it. And these, these um, firemen, a lieutenant from the NYPD, uh, someone from OEM, uh, they're carrying his, I think at this point he wasn't, he wasn't even alive. But that was one of the most iconic photos from 9-11. Um, and, and, you know, I think the people that, that weren't there or people that watch this from all over the world, they should be shocked and feel this pain and see, um, see what America's made of you know, and the heroes that responded through all of this, um, you know, no one thought twice about uh, going in there. Uh, like this, you know, the huge plume and cloud of smoke and dust, you couldn't even see, and breathing was very difficult. And in the first hours after it, there was no equipment, there was no masks, there was nothing. You, That's why we bought a bandana and put a bandana. We looked like the Bloods. We put a red bandana across our face because we couldn't breathe, but there was no equipment there. And, you know, it took a while for equipment to get there. And then the equipment we initially had were these little cloth masks, which were a joke, right? They were an absolute joke. I don't think, I don't know if they did any good or, you know, uh, you see this type of scene you'd see all over the place, people pouring water in people's faces to wash the dust and just get the dust out of their mouth and stuff. It was just, it, it was, it, it was pretty bad, you know? And um, of course this, it became symbols. The, those uh, the lights became symbols of the towers. As you could see the NYPD as, as the troops started coming in after it, uh, the, the alarms went out across the city and people started arriving from all over the place, from all over the city. And it, it was just, here's a good photo because, you know, obviously after this occurred, it was considered to be a recovery, a recovery of, we were trying to recover people that potentially were alive underneath this pile. I don't think after the first maybe half hour that there anyone lived. I don't think there was anyone under that pile that survived this. And the force of these towers going straight down, which were the buildings were designed to do, they didn't topple. If they would have toppled, thousands of more people would have died. They they fell straight down. 
they went five stories into the earth. That is the um, a Dr. Um, Hirsch, who was the chief medical examiner of New York City, he said, never in the history of mankind, other than an atomic weapon, had that much force went in one direction. Uh, the force was unbelievable, that it created a hole in the earth five stories deep. And to, to, to understand, like now now all the buildings, are, all the rooms are pancaked. Don't forget, don't forget those 110 stories. All the rooms are pancaked on top of each other. And um, there was a lot of, you know, uh, that this is an iconic photo also. The, uh, the fire department putting up a, a flag that became an uh, extremely iconic photo, as well as the photo of the, the steel cross. Um, th this was probably one of the most iconic photos of this. This woman uh, who was in, uh, worked in one of the towers, and she subsequently died of cancer. Uh, a couple of years later after yep. this. Yep. So the, the debris and, and the, it was toxic. It was toxic. And one of the horrors of this thing is, you know what? Politicians, no matter what happens, never behave. They always have to lie about something. And that includes Republicans and Democrats too. Christine Todd Whitman um, told all of New York and all the first responders that the air was safe to breathe. It was exactly the opposite. The air was toxic, and we were told it was safe to breathe. And you know, years later, many people contracted cancers that they don't even had never seen before. So it, it was. It's sort of sad. Billy, I got to tell a quick story about uh, a retired lieutenant, Bill Serpy. Bill Serpy, I actually credit him with saving my life because in 2007, I ran into Bill. And he had suffered some cancer, a rare form of cancer, but he was in remission. Uh, it was so rare that I think it's one in 100,000 people would get it. Mm -hmm. However, him and his partner that both worked on the pile had the same exact blood cancer. But he convinced me then uh, when he saw me in 2007 to go for the screenings. I was trying to be macho. You know, that's not for me, Bill. It's for you guys that had cancer. I, but he told me, he said, Phil, you're not breathing good. I could tell you. And I was really not in a good state. Uh, I had constant congestion. I wasn't breathing good. I went for the screenings then in 2007. My breathing capacity was diminished by 23%. They diagnosed me with all these things. I went on a lot of different medications, a lot of different testing. And from 2007 to around 2013, 2014 is when my breathing leveled out. I was uh, okay. But I just wanted to give a shout out to Billy Serpy, retired lieutenant, uh, good guy. And uh, it's a testament to what the exposure to the toxins caused because him and his partner that worked hand in hand on the pile – uh, both had the same rare form of cancer, a, a blood cancer, I believe it was. So I guess that gives you a um, an insight into what was going on down there with regard to all of these toxins. Lynn uh, Scratish, after the first attempt at the World Trade Center in February 93, why was there not more attention oh, I to can the possibility that. that this could happen again? That's, you know, it's a great question. Uh, however, when you have people coming into this country freely and not being challenged and how about someone going to a flight school in florida and telling the flight school that they don't want to learn how to take off a land they just want to learn how to fly when the plane's in the air 
shouldn't that raise a red flag? Shouldn't some of the other things and the protections that we didn't have. And I think in uh, 9-11, uh, 2001, one of the biggest vulnerabilities and still is a vulnerability was air travel. There was basically the worst security on earth for air travel. Has it improved? Yeah. You have the TSA people searching you. People take their shoe. They, they go through your luggage, all that stuff. But back then it was absolutely horrendous. And, um, it's improved a little bit. I just want to expand on that question a little bit. Now, when you think of, I'm going to go back to September 10th, 2001. If on September 10th, 2001, I had told you that 19 people were going to hijack four planes and they were going to take over the planes and they were going to crash them into different locations in the United States, you'd probably think that I was crazy. However, that's what occurred on September the 11th. There was actually 20 hijackers. One was incarcerated for whatever reason and wasn't able to be part of the uh, plan. But you had 20 people that were committed to die for a religious cause. Uh, they were going to take many people with them. And to think about that, and Bill, you brought up the point, they were taking flight training and they didn't care very much about landing. They were only uh, concerned with flying and taking off. So again, uh, is that a red flag? Of course it is. But to be in the mindset of before 9-11, where nothing like this had ever happened before, and to think that, you know, someone's going to take a jetliner and crash into a building and, and they're going to die as well as everyone else on that plane and everyone else that's in the building where it's going to hit, it just seemed absurd. But so we have the mindset before 9-11 and we have the post 9-11 mindset. And that's why I think now, listen, the 93 attack was a, a truck bomb. It was terrible. However, the, the, Terrorists in that case didn't sacrifice their own lives. They drove the truck and they left. They were out of there just to kill people. So to, to put it in perspective, today we have a completely different mindset post 9-11. And I think that that's why maybe they didn't have such a focus on, you know, protecting the World Trade Center from an attack by planes. Yeah, I think, you know, uh, the whole thing that came out of that, you know, if you see something, say something allows for more awareness and to use the public to report things to the police, which is so important, not just for terrorism, but for crime as well. You see something, say something. That became, <clears throat> excuse me, the mantra after 9-11. It should always be, you should always use the public to report things to the police. It's so, so important. I did, we had a, um, a detective on from the NYPD named Peter Ficelli. And Peter became a um, uh, a boss for the ATF. And I just, I hope they don't mind me playing this, but they made a video uh, on a employee reflections from 9-11. This is Peter Fricelli's reflections. I'm going to play a little bit of this. Hey, my name is Peter Fricelli. On September 11th, 2001, I was a brand new special agent assigned to the New York Field Division. During September of 2001, I was working on a case that involved a, a number of home invasions. So I was reporting pretty much on a daily basis to the U.S. Attorney's Office down in Lower Manhattan, which is about a quarter of a mile from Ground Zero. I left for work. It was a beautiful day, I remember. I had a government car that was kind of beat up because I was a newer agent. I had 170 plus thousand miles on it, no air conditioning. It was an old 1993 Cutlass Calais. So I was driving to work. 
uh, had the windows down, which was nice because it was a beautiful day. It was no air conditioning. It was a benefit. And I remember getting to around the Williamsburg Bridge when I got a phone call from my boss, Jerry Raffa, telling me that a plane had hit the World Trade Center. Um, at that point, you know, the skyscrapers blocked my view of, of the Trade Center. So I envisioned that it was a small propeller plane or a, a tourist type plane. I never in a million years thought it would have been, an, uh, you know, an air an airliner that carried passengers like, you know, transcontinental type plane. When I arrived on the scene, I saw that there was a large hole in the North Tower uh, that had been hit by a, a plane. I was a police officer for 15 years before I came on with ATF. So realistically, the only training that I had that was helpful is just what you learn as a, as a cop, which was to try to keep people moving so that first responders can get to help those who were trapped in the building or those that were injured. So I was there for a short time at ground level and um, realized that there were people up in the plaza, which is one level up. So I, I ran up a set of concrete steps that's located on Bessie Street and, uh, and Church Street. And I was in the plaza uh, helping to keep people moving again, allowing first responders to be able to get into the complex. And that's when the, the second plane hit. So um, it, while I was there, I, you know, I, I there was a young EMT who was tending to a patient just a few feet away from me. And I remember you know, looking at her, she's probably like 22, 24 years old. And then when that plane hit that second time, when I turned back to look in her direction, she'd been killed like right there on the spot. So um, I continued just to do what I was doing, which again, you, you can't be trained for something like this because there's just so much happening, which was to just try to get folks to, to keep moving um, because you know now the scene had become even more dangerous because not only did you have one tower that was on fire, you had two and, and you know um there was debris falling from the buildings and there were also instances where you would see people jumping from the buildings which is a difficult thing to to see and, and can lead to hear um so it was just a matter of just trying to help fill in the holes you know deal with things as they arose and and just try to do as much as you could to help the people who you could help it's weird like i've had people ask me hey were you, were you scared and truthfully i wasn't scared and it's not because i'm brave because i'm not a brave guy i'm re just a regular human so it, it was just like this really overwhelming feeling of of kind of just being helpless right i mean you just can't mentally prepare yourself for something of this magnitude now um so me and bill sheldon went and we found Kara and we got um her out of the car and we brought her to beekman downtown hospital which is about a half a mile away um, she wasn't walking very well, so we had to help her walk and, um, you know, she wasn't injured and she wasn't pinned in the car. Like you would expect, like from a car accident, she was just paralyzed with fear because she was pregnant at the time. And she was worried about how breathing that stuff in would affect her unborn child. So I remember when we took her to the hospital, as we were approaching the hospital, we saw right out front, there were empty gurneys and there were people outside in scrubs, doctors, nurses. And as we approached, they almost became like angry with us like they because they wanted to know where's all the patients so here we were bringing one person for treatment um but it was weird like um they were expecting mass casualty incident but what had happened is the folks that were in those buildings either got out or died bill sheldon who helped me get Kara to the hospital um later passed away of a 9-11 related cancer in fact i myself in 2017 had my right lung removed because i i also wound up getting cancer as a, as a result of responding to uh to that attack I lost six very good friends on September 11th that were cops with me. And one gentleman who was a cop who became a fireman, I, I lost them that day. Um, not easy to lose uh, that many colleagues that you work with and that you went to barbecues with. Um, coping with that was, was challenging. But since then, I've lost 21 good friends 
to 9-11 related cancers. Folks, you know, you, you, uh, that's the first time I ever watched that. And I, I know Peter Facelli. Uh, he's been on our show before. A great guy. Uh, you know, I just want folks to, Andy to Gabby Cabby, thank you for that 10-pound donation. I just want you to know anything I get today, I'm going to forward it uh, to either the Feel Good Foundation or Tunnel to Towers. I'm not going to keep any of the super chats today. I'll forward it on. And um, it's too somber of a day and i'm not here to make money i just want to come here so we keep this story alive you know and uh i mean you hear his story here he was telling his story and he also winds up losing a lung i mean it's just like it, this stuff is not it's real it's real you know when you hear people talk about it they're not making it up it, they're not bullshitting to, to try to get uh, sympathy or get government money. And it is tragic that now the 9-11 fund is running out of money. Nancy Smith, thank you for the super sticker. I will forward that on Thank uh, you to the uh, Tunnel to Towers uh, organization. Thank you, Andy, too. Andy to Gabby Cabby. Thank Cabby. you, Andy thank to Gabby Cabby. Um, the 9-11 medical fund is running out of money. And you saw John Stewart go before Congress. He had to embarrass them into re-upping these little stuff suits, Republican and Democrat, that all in, in their tenure in Congress all become millionaires from insider trading, you know, and, and, and they're determining whether or not people that were first responders that are sick now, they're determining on whether they'll fund it or not. Kim Allison, thank you for the 20 uh, pounds sticker. Again, I'll forward it to the uh, Tunnel to Towers. Um, it's disgraceful. It's like that... When you saw John Stewart go before Congress, he was all emotional about it, like having to go there with your hat in your hand and for the money. And uh, Alvarez was the was the Lou Alvarez. Louis Alvarez. He, he was on death's door, I think, after that appearance before Congress. He died a couple of days later. Yep. They had to actually, you know, I don't know how they got him there. The guy was so sick, you know. And it is sad, you know, that you just sent two billion to the Ukraine. War, we got plenty of money for war. But for our own people here, no, we're not going to pay for their health. They're going to have to fight. They're going to have to fight our government to get – it's disgraceful. It's really disgraceful. I'm glad you brought up Lou Alvarez, Bill, because he was a detective in the bomb squad. He was down there at Ground Zero. He contracted pancreatic cancer, I believe it was. And Lou went on Facebook when he first got sick, and uh, he would uh, put a picture of himself getting uh, chemo treatments – and uh, we were really all pulling for him. We prayed our asses off for a miracle for him, but it wasn't to be. But he got the strength up. He was ravaged with cancer. He was ravaged from the chemo. Like you said, Bill, when he testified in Congress, he looked like a skeleton. That's how sick he was. He died probably within a few days after testifying. But I want to tip my hat and mention him. Lou was a real hero. And if it wasn't for people like Lou and John Stewart. We probably wouldn't have gotten refunded the uh, World Trade Center health program. 
thank God we do. Uh, it's basically uh, healthcare for a lifetime with regards to or related to the exposures uh, down at Ground Zero. And uh, who's know, who knows what the future holds for us. Uh, lifestyle changes actually uh, help. I uh, first got diagnosed with all these things. I kind of started to try and eat healthy and uh, do the best I could. And uh, hopefully uh, I'll be around for a while and everybody so, else. So instead of veal parmesan, he takes the parmesan off. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, I still enjoy my veal parmesan, but I try, you know, I try to eat like antioxidant rich foods, blueberries, things like that. But, uh, I really, I did, I did change my lifestyle a lot when I first got uh, diagnosed with all these things, because naturally you want to live. I mean, you know, I have three children and a wife and a family and, you know, you want to be around to, uh, you know, to, to enjoy them. And, uh, so far, thank God, knock on wood, I'm okay. And, uh, Let's just hope that it keeps going that way. But, uh, you know, Billy, there's a, there's a component to this thing that I'm in the beginning when the first couple of anniversaries, I keyed in, I watched the names and it's so emotional and it just brings you to tears. And for the last probably 10 or 15 years, I kind of put it away. I don't really uh, open it up, so to speak, to let my mind start to think about it. I guess it's an avoidance technique, but, uh, and I didn't really think about it too much until today we're doing this show and it just, it really, uh, it really is heart wrenching. And, uh, the day that we went through that tunnel, the Brooklyn battery tunnel on nine 11, and we came out of that tunnel, I will never forget the things that I saw. It was like very hard for my brain to process it. And, uh, the first thing that I saw when we got out of the tunnel, obviously it was the powder, which was all the pulverized concrete and all the paper and stuff. But the first person that I saw just outside the Brooklyn battery tunnel on the Manhattan side was a, a uniformed police officer and he had a paper mask on. It was hanging off. He was all covered in the dust. And I, I was driving the vehicle that we were in and I looked at him and he looked at me and I saw like a death stare coming back from him. He was blank. He had just this blank look on his face and that's when it hit me. And then through the buildings, I could see the jagged edges of steel uh, that's the iconic photo. I think you showed it before the jagged edges of steel that almost looks like a picket fence through the buildings coming through the tunnel. I could see that. And I was just trying to understand it. My brain wouldn't allow me to process it. Like, how could that be? You know? And even though I saw it on TV that, you know, earlier that the buildings had collapsed and stuff, but, uh, it was just one of those things that your brain doesn't want to believe what your eyes are seeing. And uh, I guess that's the only way I can explain it. Just uh, terrible. Folks, thank you, everyone that just gave a, a super chat. In addition, I'll, I'll forward that to Tunnel to Towers. But in addition, I'll make a $100 donation myself uh, to Tunnel to Towers. So I'll forward all of, all of what you guys donated, and I'll make a $100 uh, donation to, to tunnel to towers. Um, I'm with you, Billy. I'm going to, I'm going to match that donation. An amazing organization, tunnel to towers. Um, they also build homes for servicemen yes. that, that come home disabled. I mean, I went to an event for them and I, I, I'm, I'm forgetting the name of the gentleman who runns it, but he lost his brother who was a, a FDNY. Stephen Siller and Frank Siller. Yeah, Frank Siller right. is the one that runs it. And Stephen exactly. Siller is the one that died. Amazing, amazing guy. And they do amazing work. You know, when, when you get politicians and you get government, I'm no lover of big government. I hate big government, as a matter of fact. Uh, and then you see what 
private individuals and organizations can do. They go around government and they make sure they get things done that government refuses to do. Jakey Five, thank you again. I will forward all of this, the tunnel to towers. You know, guys, I also want you guys to know, Twanda Sioux, California, thank you so much. We will remember. $20 Super Chat, Sandra H., uh, $10 Super Chat. Thank you so much again. Forwarded to Tunnel to Towers, and I'll make it my own $100 donation besides that. Um, I just want you guys to know also, 9-11 wasn't just 9-11. The work just started after that day, and we were down there or doing World Trade Center related activities for months afterwards and some of the things we did one was probably the most distasteful thing hardest thing was working at a place called fresh kills in staten island and that's where they brought all the debris from the world trade center and we would physically go through it hand by hand and in buckets and they would have these big sifters and they would actually recover fully intact bodies in some of this debris. And of course, bones, because the, the name of the game was to give families closure, to identify bodies, parts of bodies, bones. Here, here's, a, here's a little example. This is what we were recovering at Fresh Kills. You see the bones there, right? You see watches, keys. Uh, it was just, it was so, so uh, sobering and sombering, I should say to work there and, and just, and the, the, the sound and the, it was so noisy. You couldn't even talk to someone that was 10 feet away from you. You had to scream or go right up to them and, and whisper in their ear. It was, and out of the ground, the, you could see water on the ground. It would be bubbling like the Adams family. It was from the methane gas that was underneath uh, the fresh kills dump because it was a dump. This was the supposedly the largest, um, recovery in the history of man and i know uh, at the time deputy inspector james luongo who retired as a chief just recently he was in charge of uh, fresh kills and he did a hell of a job he came in you know under budget and he he, he did something that had never been done before but he, some of the pictures you see on the screen that is how we were dressed in these tyvek suits you had those masks and the helmet on and it was a real Besides the fact that Fresh Kells is like at the end of the earth, it's not a convenient place to get to from anywhere. You know, it's like I was coming from Manhattan. I was like, you know, 14 tolls and, you know, it was ridiculous. I'm exaggerating, but it took a while to get there from Manhattan. And talk about exposure to toxic shit. That place was like uh, the poster child for toxic material. They brought the cars there. I mean, it was just... Um, it was not a great place to work. When, when you went to work and they said, oh, you got fresh kills tonight, they gave you pre, well, you knew you had it ahead of time because you worked four hours pre-overtime. You had to be there at 12 noon. So you worked, a, you worked a 12 hour tour. Here's another picture here, the morgue. And a lot of us worked at the morgue and they brought all, obviously all the bodies and parts of bodies there and they would uh, photograph it take DNA and take x-rays of every body and body part. And I know a lot of you guys watched Barbara Butcher the other night, who was, I believe she was in charge of the DNA during 9-11. And she said DNA technology advanced three generations from 9-11. So the advances that they made 
from the identifications at 9-11 advanced that technology three generations. So law enforcement and science is now benefiting by that, uh, the three generations of technology advancement uh, based on 9-11. Billy, think about the job that you're given at the Fresh Kills Landfill. You showed that picture of a credit card, some keys, bones, fragments. Um they had to sift through everybody that worked. They had to sift through all this huge piles of debris, and maybe pick up something as small as a piece of bone, uh, something like that watch. Let's use that watch for example. A person that was killed, a loved one, a family member gets that watch. They're going to cherish that. That's a piece of the person that was lost. Maybe nothing else will be recovered other than that person's watch or a credit card. And this is something, it's, it's a momentum. It's, it's a token of the person that died. Uh, so again, uh, very, very difficult work, but it meant something to the victim's families. So, so important to return an item or to return property to that uh, victim or the victim's families. Uh, it's just a, a very, very painstaking process, but, uh, all the members of the NYPD and all the uh, first responders, uh, they did it, and we have to salute them. And uh, it's something that if you lost a loved one, it might mean the world to you to get something back, you know. And uh, uh, I was I received a message from uh, Carol Arazim. Carol is a retired detective that I work with in the intelligence division. She's actually a fan favorite. She had been on the show. But I want to read this. This is real, real important. There was uh, – she texted me and, and we always talk on 9-11 and she said that a good friend of hers was killed this morning on the way to a 9-11 memorial. He was a former pro baseball player and he turned to a Port Authority uh, police officer. His name was Anthony Vavaro. He was killed this morning on the New Jersey Turnpike by a drunk driver on his way to the memorial service today. So just a shout out to Anthony Vavaro, the family. Condolences to him and his family. Just another... Uh, another tragedy, I guess. But uh, uh, Carol has an amazing story of what happened to her on 9-11. She was actually uh, trapped in the Brooklyn Battery Tunnel for a period of time, but uh, maybe we'll get her on sometime in the future to tell that story. Um, condolences to that officer's family. Uh, someone that had a calling, was a pro baseball player, became a Port Authority cop, and uh, unfortunately lost his life today on the way to uh, the memorial. Absolutely. You know, folks, um, as I was trying to show you some of the things that we uh, we worked at uh, after 9-11, you know, the morgue, fresh kills, there was another place that was really, really difficult, and it was right after uh, this occurred, and there was a place called uh, the Bereavement Center, and at least in Manhattan, it was in the armory uh, in Gramercy Park, and detectives would interview family members that had missing loved ones that, you know, they knew they were working in the towers or they were working around there. And uh, right now they're listed, of course, as missing persons right after 9-11. So they would ask the family um, to bring in something that had DNA on it, uh, a toothbrush, a hairbrush, you know, clothing. And... That is how they made a lot of these identifications. Some people, it, it, it's so disheartening to even say this. Some people were, were given closure 
because they recovered a bone, a little tiny piece of bone, like you saw in that picture. And that's what the family would bury. That's what, like, you see that little bone there. Some people, that's all they got of their loved one or the bone over there. And that's what they got to have closure that, in fact, their loved one was found. Many, there's still many that were never, ever found, you know, and I think as DNA technology even gets better, um, they can uh, maybe identify more. But they did a hell of a job identifying as many as they did. Someone asked in the chat before, were any of the hijackers, and they actually had, did identify a couple of the hijackers in the debris, which, you know, like who cares, you know, but uh, all you care because it identifies uh, who it was that. Who it was, yeah. So, yes, they did. I don't know how many of them they identified. I think they knew who all of them were through um, video from the airports and all of that stuff that they had been identified, you know, going through security. So there are other means. Um, You know, I I, I like to to, to do this show just to, to sort of honor the people that lost their lives and honor the people that served and honor the people that were with me that day. I'm very proud um, to be a responder. And uh... yeah, I know, Billy. It's it's uh, it it brings it back. It brings it back real hard. And uh, you know, we're just human. That's all we are. And uh, you know, we try to uh, put on our best face on a day like today. But when I got up this morning, and uh, uh, here in the Northeast, it's a rainy, dreary day. And and my wife looked at me and said. Uh, it's a perfect day. I said, what do you mean? And she said, it's 9-11. And uh, I just feel like uh, we have to recognize the anniversary. And uh, it's a somber day. So it being, uh, you know, dreary and cloudy and rainy uh, sort of fits. I, uh, I I wouldn't feel so comfortable if it was a bright, sunny day, uh, which actually it was on 9-11. So, uh, you know, it's just, uh, it's an emotional day, but... Uh, I'd like to talk about something real quick, Bill. Um, you talk about how uh, just small pieces of uh, a person was uh, recovered. Uh, I worked with a detective by the name of Richie Calabro. He was a first grade detective and uh, his brother was killed on 9-11. His brother was a fireman. And uh, without knowing that his brother was missing, I ran into him a couple of days after uh, 9-11 had occurred at the site. And I said, hey, Rich, how you doing? And he had like a kind of... Uh, kind of like a blank look on his face. And he goes, I'm looking for my brother. I thought his brother was working down at the site. And I said, all right, uh, you know, if, if I see him, he goes, no, no, my, my brother's missing. And uh, a couple of months later, uh, they recovered uh, a small piece of a, of a bone. I, Richie described it as like the size of a toothbrush. And uh, that's what they buried for his brother. It was a firefighter killed on 9-11. So, Again, it's very heart wrenching. Um, I can't even imagine the pain that family members go through with something like that. Where some people got nothing to bury. All they all they got was to know that the person was in the towers. They were killed, and uh, there were no remains. However, there's still uh, little particles that are uh, still they're working on trying to identify them. So hopefully that uh, the technology would get better and and they could do that. But uh, it's very. Uh, very emotional to do this today. I got to tell you, Bill, and I, I, uh, I salute you for, for doing it, Bill. Thank you. Well, 
I don't feel like I should get any thanks. I just want the people that listen to us, to follow us, that uh, never to forget this. And Duty Ron, uh, my cousin's remains, part of his femoral bone, were recovered in April of 2002 and identified by Barbara Butcher's staff at the DNA lab in the New York City Medical Examiner's Office. And I thank, uh, I thank them. That's uh, this is all exactly what we're talking about. And uh, yeah, very, very difficult. Uh, this whole situation, everyone has someone, everyone from the New York metropolitan area probably has someone they know or friend or relative or uh, that either died or is, is affected. And the whole, the whole world was affected by this, these attacks, let's call it what they were, the attacks on, on America. And, uh, I just, you know, I, I don't want to stay on the air much longer. This was meant to be a salute and to honor the people. And uh, that's about all I have to say. Phil, final words? Final words. All I want to say is God bless everybody that lost their life on 9-11 and their families. And God bless all the first responders, all of our brothers and sisters in blue and in red, the police department, fire department, anybody that responded. Uh, let's just hope and pray that we never have such a great, horrific tragedy attack like this again. And that saying, never forget, I think it fits. Never forget, never allow something like this to happen again. Uh, I really hope that uh, people, you know, do have a, a good thought and a prayer for the victims of this horrible tragedy. And, uh, Let's hope and pray that we all can uh, stay healthy, that do have these health issues and it doesn't get any worse and monitor it. And if you're not part of that program and you were there, you should definitely sign up for the World Trade Center Health Program. I feel like it saved my life and I owe it to that Lieutenant, retired Lieutenant Billy Serpy. God bless everyone and stay safe. Excellent. You know, uh, folks, I, we didn't purposely do this, but I just want to mention the Port Authority Police lost 37 officers that day. All right, I want to mention them. Court officers lost people. Uh, EMS lost people that day. I don't want to, you know, slight anyone. All first responders, just, of course, near and dear to our heart is the 23 members of the NYPD that lost their life and 343 FDNY. Uh, that doesn't uh, hit you. I don't know what will. Folks, thank you so much. I hope we gave you a picture of what it was like and how it doesn't get any easier 21 years later. God bless and we'll see you soon. God bless and stay safe. One episode, just